Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're chatting with writer Irene Trant Donahue, who is well-known in the holiday movie space, attracting A-list names like Kelsey Grammer and Jane Seymour. Irene has three movies produced for Lifetime, uh, Sugar and Spice Holiday, The 12 Days of Christmas Eve, and A Christmas Spark, and more on the way. She is passionate about understanding the market for holiday movies while still emphasizing the importance of bringing your own voice, culture, and experiences into your writing. Hey, Irene. Hi. Thanks, Thanks so much for the being show. here. I'm excited. I'm a big fan of your show and both of you of your work, and I love talking about writing, so it's nice to be talking with other writers about it instead of people who, like my husband, who's like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, he like nods, you know, he's like, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited because you are our first annual holiday special. Oh, yay. So exciting. We awesome. actually now have a holiday special and it's you. Woohoo. Woohoo. Thank you very much to hey. our uh, co-producer, Savannah, who had the beautiful, wonderful idea. But um, okay, before we jump into the show, we want to talk about our week or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Will Lorian go first and sh- let show you how it's done. Lorian, how wow. was your week? Uh, my week, uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this without sounding pathetic, but I'm in that headspace where uh, the negative voice is very loud. Like you don't have any new ideas. You don't have any original ideas. You can't do, you can't see things through. And I think part of it is that I'm sick and I've been taking care of my sick kid since before Thanksgiving and I'm very tired. And it's the end of the year and it feels like that thing, you know, the end of the year is that time when you do like a retrospective, like what did I accomplish this year? Right. Cause it's all focused on productivity for me. And I just feel like, oh, 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 not enough, always not enough. So I'm really trying to figure out how I can just be okay with being sick right now. And that that's what I'm doing, which is so hard. It is so hard for me to rest or to acknowledge that I need to take a moment. So yeah, it's hard not to talk about this without feeling pathetic. Like I'm sick. My kid's sick. Oh well, that's judgment. Ideas. That's judgment. <laughs> Labeling it pathetic is already into judgment. Yes, exactly. That was my caveat, right? I set it up right yes, up front. You did. Like, don't be disappointed in me and how I'm talking about myself today. Um, but I think it's a bigger, a bigger thing that when I it's like a slippery slope. When I feel one sort of negativity to get negative thing and judgment, it sort of all kind of spirals out. I, I'm working on how to stop that so that I can correct because it is so easy and comfortable for me to just be like, yep, that's right. It's all going to shit. So I am working on that, which I'm reminding myself right now out loud that I'm working on it. So hopefully the next time on our next show, I'll be like, here's what I learned how to do. Uh, which I'm hoping is really like rest. I need to rest. Well, it's and interesting myself- because it does apply to our characters too. Like you, you can hear you saying, there's a voice in my head that says it's all going to go to shit, right? So that's a belief. That's maybe something did in your life, a childhood go to shit. 
And right. And so this thing like lodged in there, like it's all going to go to shit, especially if you lower, you know, your focus, right? You don't achieve something. It's all going to go to shit. Like that thesis got proven somewhere. And, you know, you can, and now your brain, which you're so smart in doing is trying to say, Hey, wait a minute. Is that true? And just try to catch it. And I think that we can do that with our characters too. Like make a list. What's, what are those, what are those things in their head that they believe are absolutely true? I.e. if you rest, your life will go to shit. I mean, you have to prove it, of course, to the audience that that's true, right? Or else we're like judging your character. But um, so I just think, yeah. And resting is a muscle. It's a muscle. I'm terrible at it too. Though at this point, I'm, I was, I was joking, Ari and I was joking with Lorian before we came on, like, can I please get sick? And I don't need to get too sick. I don't want to die or anything, but I would like to just get a little bit sick so that I have the excuse of going to bed because I'm very tired, but I'm on deadline and I can't go to bed. I was like, uh, anyway. when I got COVID, I got COVID in the summer and I was like kind of excited at first for like, we were up in, in Canada, my in-laws, and I was excited for like 10 days to like isolate from my husband and kid and like watch all my shows that I needed to catch up on. And then I got so sick that I was vomiting for three days straight and had to go to the hospital. No, so, no, 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 I'm, I'm so sorry. No, time. we don't want that kind of sick. No, no, no. Oh, we want guy. just a little slight little headache. Sick. Little sick. Just a little slight it's headache. The mom, and... <laughs> it's the mom fantasy, right? Like I want to have to go to the hospital and have someone else take care of me but not too sick, not vomiting and like really feeling bad, but just enough that no one That's can scary. come bother me for just a couple but days. I was just telling Is that, that, am I admitting I had to get, am I, I admitting to go in for a procedure. Really I had to go in for a procedure. It was a day procedure. And my husband was like, do you want me to come in with our kid? And I was like, no, don't come in. And I told my other mom friends, I was like, it was like a spa day. I highly recommend, <laughs> I highly recommend going and getting put under anesthesia. And it wasn't something serious. It was enough that I had to get under anesthesia, but like, you know, nothing like crazy serious. We and are then all I too busy. I got we this are all, too- all day and, and someone brought me juice and they like tucked me in and put a warm blanket on me. I was like, seriously, mom, oh. like go to the, get anesthesia, go to the hospital. You have this excuse. I spent the whole day sleeping. It was heaven. Oh my yeah, God. I want it's juice. our new holiday movie. We've written it right here. Here I it is. juice and I want someone to tuck me in. That's exactly what I want. And then be like, shh, shh, shh. No, you rest. I'll do the dishes. I'll take care of everything. Yeah, that's what I want. That would be Merry Christmas. Yeah. I just want Irene. to disassociate just a little bit. How just about that? All right, yeah. Irene, how was your Irene, week? how was your how was your week? It's been it's a little crazy because I just flew out to Rhode Island on Saturday. So the lead up to that was a lot of trying to hit deadlines and getting all the work done before I came out here and I had an outline that I needed to finish and a draft that I needed to finish. Plus it was like spirit week at my kid's school. And I volunteered to do all of this stuff because I am an idiot and uh, just keep getting volunteering to do all the things. So trying to do all of those things, get ready um, and come home. And so I made it on Saturday and then it's uh, it's been a bit, my um, my father has Parkinson's and dementia and he just oh, moved into the um, veterans home uh, last week. And so that has been a, a rough week. And this is my first time, like, so I went and I've been visiting him, you know, since I got back. And so that, it's, is, hard. Uh, it's hard. It's a lot. It's, hard. I've been there. That's it's yeah. super hard. It's like not coming down the stairs in the morning and seeing him at the breakfast table and, him having uh he's doing well it's a great facility it's a great level of care it's good but um it's hard seeing him in a new place and and my mom um still having to take care of him uh and and then all of those changes that come in the realization that this is like the the next chapter that it 
that it's not like you can't like live in the fantasy of like no papa's gonna we'll just get you know we'll be still be here at home and but like parkinson's and dementia it doesn't go away so it just gets yeah. worse um yeah. but grateful that you know that's what i keep holding on to the gratitude that we have this wonderful facility the va home um he's a, a vietnam vet and uh so he can be staying in this wonderful facility and uh it's free and it's close to home and so yeah just we just i was over there and they were just having a little holiday party and he had some cake and ice cream and um tucked him in for his nap and came back here so yeah, it's been it's awesome. but i'm happy to be home i love i'm from rhode island i love my i love being on the east coast for winter and christmas and the cold and um hopefully it'll snow we'll get some some sledding in and get some small town holiday cheer going on that's right <laughs> you were saying that your your town is kind of like the towns you write about in yeah holidays, i just went it? last night actually to uh the the temple here had like a a community gathering so lighting um the menorah for the first night of hanukkah and i'm not jewish but um there was like uh it was also like anti-semitism sort of unity um event and so brought my daughter there and uh, so that was great. It had that very small town, you know, feel. I ran into the parents of, you know, a kid that I grew up with um, on the soccer team and saw them and hadn't seen them in, you know, like 20 years. And so it definitely, it's nice. It's nice to be back. Oh, that's wonderful. That's awesome. Uh, I'll do my week pretty quick because I want to talk holiday movies. Um, I'm in crunch time before the holidays, i.e. how the hell am I getting even any gifts? Because I have so much work to do. I have so many things due. Uh, and they have to be turned in. And uh, so I'm literally getting up at 6 a.m. And then I run out at dinner time and shop. And then I come back. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in crunch time. Uh, and, you know, I guess I would just say in terms of writing, uh, you know, it's at that time when you're rewriting, when you're like, oh, that idea that we all had for this scene works it totally works it's just so much better and okay the execution might be all mushy and I don't know because I'm going so fast I'm just trying to put the blocks down but I feel like this block that's a good block that is gonna work and then you get to the next two blocks and you're like Fuck. shit <laughs> shit this doesn't work shit maybe it doesn't work because I'm tired maybe I'm just tired or maybe it's the execution maybe it's me maybe it's because I'm doing it badly but it's not where no it's not working no it's just it this is the whole idea doesn't work shit so then I'm like you know and you're like but it ripples like it ripples through the rest but it's all due like I have to send it in at the blocks even just to have the conversation with the director and everybody and so it's a very normal totally normal part of the process you put the block down that you think it's gonna work and then you panic because it doesn't work and that great idea you had in your head that was supposed to work is not happening so I'm having some bits of panic and then I just have to sit here because it's due, which is great. I have to say having deadlines is great because when it's due, you can't just be like, well, you know what? I'm going to go bake some cookies and I'm going to go shopping at Macy's and buy shit for myself because this doesn't work. And now I'm panicking. Instead, I have to literally sit here and be like, well, how could I make it work? What are the four options and where does it ripple? And then just keep writing. I just, keep, I just have to keep writing to an answer. Does that make sense? Like, I have to write to an answer. I have no choice. I have to write to an answer. Even if it's not the answer, it's at least something to get a discussion going. Um, and just moving between the specificity of that scene and the 30,000 foot view of the ripples and like, wait a minute, if this doesn't work, is there a bigger 
story issue or no, it's really just in this sequence. And again, this isn't about this particular project. It's about all projects that you work on, I think, unless I'm the only one. Is anybody nodding here? Am I the only one that this happens to where you're like, you're like, no. oh my God, how big or small is this? Um, so I am, I will say in, to, in, in terms of our holiday theme, I did find out that Macy's was open till 11 last night. So <laughs> I have teenagers. So I was like, at eight o'clock, I was like, we're going shopping, get in the car. <laughs> it was fun. There was like, no, I was like totally normal. There was, there was some crowds. I felt safe in terms of flu and all that. And so I highly recommend mm. Macy's nine o'clock hour. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Anyways, so that was my week. And oh, I, I did remember the one thing I did in order to combat that I have no good ideas, which is that I work to come up with terrible ideas. So I made a list of all the things I hate. Like I'll never do this and I'll never do this, like this genre or this medium or anything. I made a list, I put them all together and I created a show. That's what I'm doing, right? So that I I was like leaning into the hell. Like what's the worst possible thing I could think of to work on? And That's it actually really made me realize, I was like, oh, I, I have terrible ideas. And maybe those might actually be something when you throw them all together, like stone soup kind of. So that is what I, I forgot. That's, That's what smart. I did. That's what I wanted to talk about. That's yeah, smart. That's like, all oh, of no, our listeners' I... homework. That's all of our listeners' homework yes. who think you have yes. terrible ideas. You now have to make the yeah. conglomerate bad it's idea like, monster. It's, it's like, what's the worst genre? I'll never write in this genre. I'll never tell a story about this. I like, you know, I'll never use this or that. And then I, I put it together and I pitched it to a friend and she's like, well, that's laugh out loud funny. I'm like, well, there you go. See? <laughs> or, excuse me. You never know. Yeah. Anyway. All right, let's go on to holiday movies because I'm so excited to talk to Irene. Okay, so, uh, you know, Irene, we always have to start because our listeners really do want to know how'd you break into the business? You know, like what's the, what's, give us the, give us the story. The story, uh, so I have a little, a roundabout story of how I got into screenwriting. I spent a lot of time, so I graduated, I went, I grew up in Rhode Island. I'm the youngest of six kids in seven years. Vietnamese mom, Irish Catholic dad, loved movies, worked at a video store in high school, thought I was going to be like, you know, it was the 90s, I thought I was going to be Quentin Tarantino. I went to Brown. Uh, the first film class I took there was so pretentious and all theory based that I was like, no, I can't, I can't do this. So then I just did writing. I did memoir, creative nonfiction, stuff like that, and was a history major. Then I started traveling. And after college, I went to, I was in Vietnam, visiting family, and uh, walked into a bar one night. And there was a dreamy Canadian surfer who was supposed to be my holiday fling rebound romance. Um, and that was 21 years ago. So we are still together. Um, and so we ended up moving around a lot. We lived in Japan for a couple of years and taught English. We we're in Indonesia. We we're in South Africa. Uh, came back to Rhode Island and after a couple of years and um, decided to stay here. But he was he he was Canadian couldn't get a job he was gone for the year working on boats oh because we had gotten our offshore yacht master sailing certification in South Africa We're of course you did yes you know as you do um supposed to sail around the world my dad was sick three sisters pregnant I decided to stay I wrote a novel that never got published um and then after the year was over I was like okay forget this we need to be in one place so I proposed and uh we uh, got married got him a green card and lived with my parents for five months um, and then I got a job bartending and tutoring and freelance writing and nannying and all the things that you do when you're, you know, trying to be a writer. 
And then finally, uh, he, my husband was doing a yacht delivery because rich people don't deliver their own yachts around the world. They just want to show up. So he was delivering a yacht for six weeks. And I said, I should write a screenplay. Why have I never written a screenplay? That was always my first love, but it just seemed like what I'm going to move to LA and get an agent. Like it just was weird. You know, you grew up on the East coast. It just seems like, like who does that? You know, so um, <laughs> like, how does that even happen? But I was like, fuck it. I'm going to write a screenplay. Got some books on how to write screenplays, read some screenplays, wrote a screenplay, entered it into the nickel fellowship and um, made it to the semifinals. And so before that happened, right before that happened, my husband and I were not happy with our life. And so we sold everything we owned, got into our 73 VW van and spent the next year and a half driving around the US and Canada. And along the way, made it to the semifinals of the Nichols. And so got that sort of validation of like, oh, I can, I can do this. I should do this. And then um, through a friend was connected to my manager and he was like, well, if you want to do this, you got to move to LA. And I was like, dude, park down the street, done. Let's let's do this. So that was about 12 years ago. And I, uh, within a year, had sold a feature pitch to Lionsgate and uh, started selling more stuff and sold a TV pilot to ABC um, based on when I was living as a, working as a bartender, living with my Vietnamese mom and my Irish Catholic dad called Borington after um, my hometown is named Barrington. Um, and that's what we used to call it. And so then just kept kept writing, got a couple movies produced, um, and then uh, had had my kid nine years ago, and my husband went back to school, became a nurse, and we just ended up staying. It just I just kept working, and then after, um, you know, all the years of, like, the ups and downs have finally found, you know, a good place, but the Christmas writing came out of um, not a good place, which was that I, a couple years ago, I hadn't sold anything for, you know, two and a half years and our savings, you know, you know, LA, you can't, you can't survive on a nurse's salary and our savings is going down. And I literally was hitting rock. I was working, I mean, working my ass off. I probably created like seven different show Bibles, like 10 different, you know, pitches on features on different people's IP or originals, developing shows, writing spec scripts, and just always not quite getting there, you know, like you, one other writer and down to the two of you. And then it kept not getting it um, to the point where my sisters at Christmas, like, I think it was probably four years ago now, um, literally had an intervention with me where they were like, we're really worried about you. I was depressed. I was not healthy. I was just so stressed out. And they were like, maybe you should think, you know, you did it. You, you've done great. Like, maybe you should just think about like switching careers. And I was like, you don't understand. I am not qualified to do anything else. <laughs> like before this, I was, <laughs> I was a bartender and I'm not hot enough to be a bartender in LA anymore. You know, like I can't even get a job waiting tables. I have a kid now. Like I just, I literally can't do anything. I'm not qualified. And I was also like, and I'm really successful. <laughs> like actually, like, yeah, like I have agents, managers, like, Lucy Liu is attached to direct my spec script. I was like, you know, like this, I, I'm good. And they were You're like, doing it. I know, but they were like, but they don't get, you know, they don't work in the industry. They're like, it's crazy. You've been working, you don't get paid. Like, what is that? What, what, how, how do you not get paid for the work that you do? And I was like, no, like I, it's, I, I can't do anything else. I'm, I, it's going to happen. And, um, and then um, right before they had this intervention, I had said to my, my agents, I had read an article about how at that point there was like a hundred Christmas movies being produced between Netflix, Lifetime, and Hallmark. And I was like, ooh, I need to get in on this. So I told my reps, like, I want to write a Christmas movie. 
and they had set up a meeting with um, an executive at Lifetime. I had written a movie for them a couple years ago. I had adapted a novel called Drink Slay Love, which was like a YA teen vampire book. And so I'd done a movie with them before. And so I went in and I pitched some ideas and they, they picked one and they were like, we love it. And so developed that. And so about a month after the intervention, I sold that movie to Lifetime. And then within the next year, sold uh, three more projects. And so it really did turn around. And um, and it was funny because like last year, my sister was like, uh, after I'd sold a bunch of stuff, she was like, I think that, you know, if you really want to rub it in our faces, how wrong we are, you should like take us to a spa day or something. <laughs> I love your <laughs> to Make us feel real bad about how wrong we were about you. Um, but yeah, so it really, it really turned things around this sort of realization of like, I should write Christmas movies because since then, you know, I've done three with Lifetime. We've got another one hopefully coming for next year. And I've sold a couple other ones to other companies. And it has just given me the financial stability to also then pursue other projects, you know, the sort of passion projects and non-Christmas movies. Um, so it's been, so now I just tell everyone, I just tell all my writer friends, I'm like, you need to write a Christmas movie. Everyone, like they make, at this point, they're making like 200 a year between all the different networks and streamers. Um, and they How make- would you describe, how would you describe the difference between like a Hallmark, Lifetime, Disney, Netflix, or is it all the same? Oh, they're, they're, they're definitely different. Um, Lifetime and Hallmark are more similar um, in terms of the tone is always going to be light. You know, there's never going to be heavy, hard drama. There can be sadness, um, but nothing, uh, nothing too dark, nothing too intense, nothing that can't be resolved by the end of the movie. Um, they, they do have some more dramatic ones. I write more for comedy. Um, and so mine, I know that Lifetime tries to lean more into the comedy. Um, Hallmark has shifted a lot in the past couple of years. So Lifetime was always the sort of slightly edgier um, version of the Christmas movie. But um, in the past uh, couple of years, Hallmark has had a change of leadership and uh, and they really are pushing for diversity and inclusivity. And you can see that reflected in the movies that have been made in the past couple of years. So there is, so they are now coming closer together in terms, because Lifetime was always more diverse and inclusive. Um, but now Hallmark is also um, pushing towards that. Whereas, so if you get the Christmas movies, so those are like the, the rom-coms basically. And Netflix ones are, their rom-coms are very similar, I think, in tone, but they usually have a slightly bigger budget. They um, hire slightly higher, like, production values, uh, maybe some bigger stars, and then, but but similar tones, like, nothing, nothing too deep or heavy. They want it to be fun, but then they also do the other types of, they, they uh, family movies. So that's another uh, area for Christmas movies and Disney Plus, Nickelodeon, those types of or freeform are looking more for kid-centered family Christmas movies. You know, Netflix has Christmas Chronicles, things like that. Um, Netflix will do the bigger budgeted ones like that. And I think um, for in terms of Hulu and HBO, I mean, this year I think was the first year for Apple to do was Spirited. So their Christmas movie was like a huge one, you know, like they're doing the big stars, big budget, big concepts. Um, they don't seem to be doing, I mean, I don't know, hopefully they'll open it up and create more, um, more Christmas movies, but same thing, HBO and 
Hulu, the ones that I've seen on there seem to be in the rom-com genre as well when they go into pitch. Because since I have a relationship there, it was usually it was just like I send them a couple log lines of cons. I have a list, you know, I've got my idea list and, and there's a Christmas movie section. So whenever I come up with an idea, I put that down in my list. And then when I meet with people, whether it's a producer or a network, usually it's like we talk a little bit. I try to figure out which ones would work for them. I send them a couple log lines. They say, hey, we like this one. And then I'll do up like a three page, basically, like a three page single space pitch with uh, a little paragraph each on the major characters and then the the major beats and any like if there's like a big theme um, and then pitch that to them. And then usually at that point, they buy it. And then you do the full outline, like the full like 15, 20 page outline as a paid step. But um, the one, <clears throat> so one of the movies that I did, 12 Days of Christmas Eve with Kelsey Grammer, I developed that with his company. So that was me doing a general meeting with his company, his production company, Gramnet, and us talking about the idea they, he wanted to, he acts in all these Christmas movies. They were like, but we want to produce one. We thought it'd be good if, if we actually produced one that he was starring in. And so I gave them a couple of ideas and they picked one. And then I worked out the whole, and that was like the full pitch. That was like a, you know, the full like 15, 20 minute pitch with all, everything worked out, all the beats and everything. And then we took it out to multiple um, outlets and pitched to, you know, Peacock, to um, to Hallmark, to Lifetime, like all pitched around and then ended up at Lifetime. Um, so that was like a, a much fuller sort of process. And that's what I would do for my own, like sort of bigger ideas. That's probably how I would do it. I would pair with a producer. I would create a really detailed pitch. If you want the bigger markets, if you want Netflix or Hulu or HBO Max, they're not probably, you know, usually I would, I would pitch it the same way that I pitched you know, I have a, a just a straight up romantic comedy with Netflix coming out this spring. And so I would pitch a Christmas movie to them probably the same way that I pitched the romantic comedy. It's just characters, theme, inspiration, um, why the story needs to be told, like who the audience is, and then like the sort of full story. So yeah, it depends, sort of depends. And, but I know that some people have spec scripts, you know, like where I have a, I have a, Christmas movie that I had sold got put in a turnaround we took it back and we're taking we worked on it some more and we're taking that out as a spec and so that's a whole, another Christmas movie so there's there's lots of different sort of pathways into it and for a newer writer that doesn't have connections I would say probably you're gonna have to spec the script yeah I think so I think if you don't have connections you're gonna have to spec it so they can see you and they can see what you can do and they know what they're buying right too if you don't have the track record which you had when you started over you know what about i i, I watched sugar and spice and i just really was so delighted by the specificity of of it in terms of i mean all the great specificity in terms of the love story and all of that but i i especially really appreciated the cultural specificity um and distinction that you brought to it and you I mean it felt like you and we can talk about I'm gonna guess some things that might be true <laughs> but um just because they were so wonderful. I'm not a people pleaser I don't know why everyone thinks I'm a people pleaser I never write <laughs> <laughs> so I was I mean can we talk about that in terms of you know um 
holiday movies and doing that, bringing your own voice, because they can be, and I say this with deep respect, because every movie is to especially genres, there's some formula involved in every genre. Um, and you can break it and, and, and upend the genre and all of that. But there is, there is tenants, let's call them story tenants, but especially it feels like in holiday movies, like you said, they don't want it too dark and they want it all resolved. So given that pot that you're stewing in, what was that like for you to, to bring that specificity? It was awesome. And it was actually, so my, when I had actually pitched the original idea, it was not necessarily culturally specific. It was just about a woman entering a gingerbread baking contest. And my executive was actually like, we've never done a, you know, an Asian centered holiday movie before. Like, why don't, and I was like, all, all right, sweet. Like, let's do that. I was excited because it actually, I mean, someone can fact check me, but I've been told that it was the first Asian centered holiday movie ever. Like they have had Asian leads, but they've never had one that was like specifically built around an Asian family and that experience with that level of cultural specificity. So that was really exciting for me um, just to be able to add in, you know, like my mom's Vietnamese, the characters were um, Chinese, but uh, my brother-in-law is Chinese American. Um, and, you know, just in a lot of it was just being drawn from like the Asian American experience, that experience of having, um, you know, immigrant grandparents, parents uh, coming over, just being American and having all these traditions and taking part in just Christmas, but also having slightly different things. So it's like that mixture of the universal themes and universal experience with the specificity of your own family and your own culture. So it was exciting, you know, instead of the the family meal, they're all eating with chopsticks and the joke is about stinky tofu instead of, you know, fried chicken or I don't know, like, or, or steak or whatever other foods are, right, right, right. Um, but you know, like things, so I, things like that. And just having, you know, the family altar and just little, little touches like that. Um, it was exciting to just try to find that blend and to try to put my own experience and my own voice into that and making sure that, you know, there was like the little microaggressions being, you know, like when the guy is like, Oh, where, you know, I didn't know they, celebrated Christmas where you're from and she's like I'm from Maine um I love that that was amazing that felt true that felt like that might have happened to you (laughs) that happens all the time they're like where are you from no where are you really from you know question um so that was you know just just having and, and afterwards when it came out the the reaction on social media from the Asian community was so gratifying of people just being like it was so awesome just I felt seen I felt like you know, I'd never seen a family like that before or talking with the actor who uh, played the brother being like, I get to play a a married man and someone's brother. Like, he's like, I never get, I'm always like the sh- the token Asian shop clerk or like the token Asian best friend, you know, like he was like to actually play and look around set and see people who looked like me. And it was directed, um, Jennifer Liao is a, you know, Chinese Canadian woman. So like having that level of representation was just really exciting. I never thought that writing a Lifetime Christmas movie would be one of the like important things. (laughs) (laughs) But it really, I think to a lot of people, it meant something, which was great. And now if you look at the, um, like, you know, there were on Hallmark this year, there were two Asian centered holiday movies. Um, and so over the years, just like watching that happen and uh, it was really important to me. I didn't realize it was important to me because at the time I just wanted to get paid. Like I said, I hadn't sold anything yeah. in two years. I was like, okay, this is what you want. I will write this. Um, and then even in the first draft, I had the 
the male love interest was originally written as white because I figured, well, you know, they've got this Asian family. They're going to want like a white dude. And again, my executive, um, shout out to Tia Magini, who's amazing. Uh, she was like, can we uh, make him Asian? And I was like, can we? I was like, really? We can? We can have like two Asian people? And then she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, let's, yeah. And uh, so it was it was really exciting. And um, and for me, like I, I love Christmas. So I, I, I watch these movies. I love these mm. movies. So to be able to write them um, and to, you know, spread that joy to the audience uh is is important to me um so yeah it was it was it was pretty and and I think that for other writers there is trying to break into the space there is so much room to add your own voice and to add because like you said there is a formula there are all these tropes they do feel for a long time it's felt really generic and um indistinguishable from each other but so this now with the sort of shift um that has been happening in the inclusivity that people want to be able to bring your own voice to a sort of formulaic story gives you an edge. It will give you something more interesting than the typical, you know, this woman comes to her small town, falls in love with her high school boyfriend, you know, like saves the town hall. Um, if you can bring a specific experience or a specific point of view to that storyline, I think it will set you apart from a lot of other writers. I agree. I what I was really taken with is in that specificity of how you wrote this movie. It was so relatable. There's that stinky tofu scene, um, and it so reminded me of my family. You know, I'm Jewish, and at Passover we eat gefilte fish. Well, none of my family eats it because it's gross. But my husband, who's <laughs> super goy, he likes it. So that dynamic in that scene, and go watch the movie. You'll know what I'm talking about was so relatable because I've had that experience, even though the cultural specificity was so distinct and your experience or, or something like something, yeah. you know, it, so for I, me, that was like, Oh, I, I found that so charming and that leaning into that you of it and your experiences is what makes it relatable to, you know, yeah, a Jewish really, girl. <laughs> yeah. Really audience out there, writers listen to that is so important. The more specific you get, the more, unconditionally human it becomes like it's just it's a really interesting um seem to be contradiction but it's so true and I love the other and I don't know if this is a convention that you broke but uh to me it's from afar it seems like this was a convention that you broke um that I just so appreciated and sorry spoiler alert if you don't want to hear the spoils then go ahead and jump ahead 20 seconds um you know, she doesn't give up her job for him and move home. And I was just like, oh, thank Jesus. Thank God. Thank I got thank nervous. I just end, was so I was like, oh no, oh no, she's good. And then I was like, oh, oh. and then I loved how it ended. Yes. Like yes. I, was, I mean, that, that was, was that nice. something breaking breaking something? Uh, or is that, that kind was of breaking the convention? But again, that in the first draft, I had it because I, you know, I was just playing by the rules. And the rules are that they have to move home and give up their job and their career. And again, my amazing exec was like, Can she just go get the job? She <laughs> can she take the job and have a follower? And I was like, again, I was like, can we? Like, I didn't even know we could do that. And she was like, yeah, no, we're doing that. And I was like, okay. And so that was great. I loved that. It was like, and that was why, I mean, I have had such a wonderful experience with Lifetime because they want to shake it up a little bit. They want to take, they, they know their audience. They know that, you know, part of it is the formula, but like, how, how do you shake it up? How do you uh, make it fresh? How do you make it different? And, um, 
You mentioned that Hallmark is also moving that direction too, yeah, right? They definitely are. And so they actually, a couple, this was like two years ago, uh, there was this thing floating around where it was like a new directive from Hallmark. And it literally went through the list of all the things they didn't want anymore. And it was like, she can't, no one, no big city girl going to her small hometown, no one falling in love with their high school sweetheart, no bakers, no fashion designers, no, you know, like advertising execs, you know, like it was like every single thing of the formula. And they were saying, we don't want any of this. And so for a second, I was like, what are we supposed to do? You know, like, this is what you want. But what it seems to have fallen into is we don't want all of those things. So you can take a couple of those conventions, but always try to find a twist or always try to find a new way. Like, like you said, like she doesn't take the job or it's not her high school boyfriend. It's a new part, you know, like all, there's lots of different ways you can take the formula and use fresh ingredients. It's like fusion, right? Like you, you've got the, you've got the, the, your grandmother's recipe and you throw in a couple of modern twists to it um, so that people get that familiarity, but then they also get something new. And so that's another thing that like, I'm always trying to do, with my Christmas ideas or when I'm actually writing the scripts is like, how do you take something that has been seen a million times? What's a new angle that I can take on this? Like what, who is, who is this person going to be? Or, you know, the, uh, one of the other ones that I wrote that came out this year, Christmas spark has the exact same formula, but it's with a widow instead of a 30 something professional. It's a widow going to her daughter's small hometown where she falls in love with the town playboy and saves the, Christmas pageant by directing it and has all of those wonderful moments and romantic moments and revelations, but from a different point of view uh, of a woman who has, you know, I love that. Love I love that. Life. What about you mentioned, you know, you keep your idea folder for holiday movies. Do you, can you talk <laughs> about that? Like where you get your ideas or, you know, I mean, kind of. Yeah they just come from everywhere I don't know like people ask me that and I'm like do people not just have a million like do other writers not just have a million like I feel like everywhere I no go, not right now are really not right now I, just, I like I'm telling you this is what I'm struggling with. I get I get stressed out because I'm like I will never be able to write all of my ideas like I have all these ideas that I love and I would love to turn into movies and tv shows and I just don't have the time to to do all of them and um, and so it was I, an example of where you got one just okay, for, so uh, for those like, of us who last, are tired last week I was at my daughter's um, holiday concert and um, we have and it's this tiny little school Valley View Elementary by the way we have low enrollment if anyone needs a wonderful <laughs> if anyone needs a wonderful LA elementary school it's the best and but it's tiny right and um, we've been losing enrollment and we have a new principal and she is this like beautiful young woman and she's wonderful. And I'm watching her up on stage, like introducing the kids. And it's got all of that feeling, you know, like all the parents watching these cute, adorable kids, everything's decorated. And I just thought to myself, oh, okay, there's a movie. Like new principal trying to save her school, running a holiday concert, like all the things that could happen and some sort of love interest and boom, like that was that was an idea. So I put that in my idea. I love that. So you're um, looking at your life. You're looking at the people around your life, which I do think some of us, I don't know, we keep thinking movies and I don't know, we have to think superheroes, but you know, it's happening all around you. It's happening. Well, especially all around for you. holiday movies. Cause they are sort of slice of life, smaller um, yeah. universes that uh, the majority, I mean, you, you could have the big crazy Hollywood movie idea, you know, that you sell to a bigger company, but if you're looking in the sort of more of the Hallmark lifetime Netflix realm of movie, then yeah, they want sort of regular stories about regular people, but maybe like every once in a while there's, 
you know, some sort of pop star or movie star. There's always that genre as well, where it's like pop star goes back to their, you know, hometown or whatever. Um, but yeah, it just, it comes from that. It comes from looking at the situations for the different people in my life. Sometimes it's literally just titles. Like I'll, I'll think of a good title. I love puns and I love naming things and I love coming up with titles. Like it's like my favorite thing. And so sometimes I'll just come up with a title and then like reverse engineer a story out of it. So like, you know, uh, um, like I was watching or there was some movie that had something about It's a Wonderful Life. And I was like, okay, what if there was a movie called It's a Wonderful Wife? And I have no idea what that story is, but like that could be a Christmas movie. You know, like, <laughs> love, if you look at all the Christmas movies, they all have these like Christmas puns. So looking at like a, you know, a, a song title, a Christmas song title or, or, or the Christmas words and trying to, you know, like I have a, a, a spec script that, that we're taking out and it's called A Christmas Cheer and it's about cheerleading. You know, like, it's like, how do you combine uh, the things in your life with like a Christmas twist on it? So you can get ideas from that or or you look at like a, a regular movie and you think, how do I, how can I turn that into a Christmas movie? How can I take that sort of storyline and make it about mm -hmm. Christmas? Um, or how do I take this Christmas tradition and make it interesting? You know, like what, what other Christmas you know, look around your community and see like, what are the Christmas events that happen? You know, there's like the Christmas dance for a teen movie, or there's a, um, you know, like the tree lighting ceremonies or the Santa village. And you think like, who are the people that work at those places? Who are, you know, what is my, my best friend's experience? What if, if I lived in this part of the country, like, is, is there a way that I can put a twist on this Christmas experience to make it something that could be a movie and that yeah. could universally connect. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about um, the perception about writers who write Christmas movies and why they are not in the same, you know, you get, you write a movie, you get paid, it's on TV. Like, how is that? They're a little bit looked down on. Definitely. Um, and that, then. Can you? I, that's a big thing for me. <laughs> I, uh, I always enjoyed Christmas movies and they were always seen as like this guilty pleasure. And I do feel like recently people are coming, you know, out with their, their guilty pleasures and admitting that they love Christmas movies. And it's, it's not as a, uh, as looked down upon to, to love them, but um, to write them, people have asked me like a lot of writers who, when I say like, you should write a Christmas movie, they'll be like, oh, I don't really know. Like they're afraid it will like ruin their reputation somehow. Like it will somehow lock them into this box. And um, first of all, when I, I always tell writers like, there's no box like you're a writer you can always write you're not no one's gonna buy your pitch but like I could write a horror movie which I've never written before but if it's a good enough script then I can sell that script so like if you're you're writing Christmas movies and you decide to write some like super intense drama Oscar movie then you can always write that and that will prove to people that you can write that way so that will never lock you in I don't think um and for me writing Christmas movies gives me the financial stability and the mental bandwidth that comes with not being stressed out about paying my rent um, that allows me, that gives me the freedom to write my passion projects. Cause it wasn't, you know, this is not the end goal for me. This was not what I came to Hollywood to write about per se. Um, but it allows me the freedom <clears throat> to then hopefully write those projects and m move my career in a different direction. But honestly, if I, won an Oscar, I think I would probably still want to write a Christmas movie a year. <laughs> like it's really 
fun. It's really gratifying to be able to write a movie that my mom wants to watch and that her friend wants to watch and that they're going to play at the my dad's new nursing home for the veterans to watch and that my teenage niece and nephew can watch and that my kid can watch and that all of those people who love Christmas movies can watch and enjoy. And for me, I feel like the condescension that comes from writing a Christmas movie or writing rom-coms or Hallmark movies is always comes back to the patriarchy and just the um the fact that women's work is often devalued or anything that is the, the female audience or the feminine perspective or anything that is seen as romantic or light is somehow not as valuable a skill or commodity or experience as the male perspective of like these like action movies or these you know some of the heavy dramas where it's like those are somehow valid and even though they a lot of them are also just pure entertainment and the fact that we as women might enjoy these movies is looked down upon is because our experience is not valued and the fact that um I mean for me it's like so my mom like I said my dad has Parkinson's and dementia for the past two years three years she's been stuck in the house with him you know COVID taking care of him all day long and at the end of the night, after she would put him to bed, we would she watches like a Hallmark movie or a Lifetime movie and we watch them together. And it brings comfort to her. It's like she knows that she can just watch this and it's comfortable. And if she falls asleep for 15 minutes, she wakes up, it's okay because she knows what's going to happen. Or if she falls asleep and turns it off and doesn't watch it, it's fine. Um, it's not going to stress her out. It makes her feel good. And like, why shouldn't we give people that? If I can bring that to people, then that to me is more rewarding than a movie that just, you know, like made someone feel bad about the world. The world is so shitty. You don't need to do much to look around this world and have reason to think that everything sucks. So if I can be the person that brings some sort of lightness and joy or just relief, just to shut, even if it, you know, it's like if it shuts your brain down into a place of comfort, that's okay. As long as you, I'm trying to do the best version of that. So there are many different versions of that that type of movie, and some of them really are horrible. I, I've watched enough of these to watch and be like, "Ooh, no, this is this is bad." Um, but you can do a better version of that, and if you have enough respect for your audience, you want to do that. You want to give them the not the like store brand, uh, like processed food version of a chocolate chip cookie. You want to make them a home baked, good gourmet chocolate chip cookie, and it can bring them that level of comfort. And so I yeah. love that. I totally agree wholeheartedly, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been a big fan of these movies for a really long time, and I just recently came out about it. Um, and I had to think about why, and it really is that what you're talking about that you know there's a predictability and a comfort, and I can go do something else for a while and come back. It'll be on again. I can watch the ending. But my daughter and I have it on you know, and we, you know, she's always like, oh, are they drinking the hot cocoa yet? You know, did it snow yet? Where's the snow fight? Oh, you know, let's talk there are about that. Markers. That's really good because yeah. we have some specific yeah. lis uh, listener questions for you specifically, actually about hot chocolate, which reminded me. Okay. Um, always got to have hot cocoa. Well, snow, you know, Candace asked, cocoa. are there, Candace asked, are there interesting elements that are re required in quotes? Uh, for a holiday movie, hot chocolate, big city, you know, or there's some surprising ones that we haven't maybe noticed. Um, there's no, it's not like you have to get any specific thing in. You just have to make sure that Christmas is, or uh, there are more Hanukkah movies now, but like that 
the holiday is actually like fully integrated and a part of it, not just like a splash here and there. It's like, it has to be about Christmas. It has to have some sort of Christmas detailing. And there's a, I mean, we always drink. Yeah. I, I don't know if there is one that doesn't drink hot cocoa because we all do drink the hot cocoa, but I got to say, here's a huge pet peeve of mine. And this is in all movies, but when they're drinking out of like a, you know, they go to the coffee stand and it's empty and you can see it's empty and like, can't they just put hot water in it? So you can, there's some weight in it and you can just tell, I hate the empty. And I watch so many of these movies. Every time. I have the same thing about it's, suitcases. Why don't they put something in the suitcase? Because there's clearly nothing there's in that suitcase. They're, they're just throwing it around. Like I have the same thing. I have the same pet sound, you guys, it's sound. If you have the sloshing of the cocoa, and that's what somebody told me, that it's hard okay. with the sound and the you drinking. You can see by the, the arm thing. muscles. Anyways, okay. I mean, you want to put like, so you want to put those details in. You want to put, the, there's got to be some of them. It's like the tree lighting ceremony, the Santa's village, the hot cocoa, ice skating, sledding. Um, you know, you, you have to put in some of those elements just to make sure that there is a lot of Christmas in it. But that stuff, a lot of the time, you can just sort of like throw in with, you know, little details. Yeah. And then Christy asked about third acts in holiday movies. She said they seem to introduce a problem and resolve it very quickly in 10 to 15 minutes. Is this common? Yes. <laughs> I will say yes. And that at least specifically for, you know, the the sort of rom-com uh, genre is that because they, they don't want there to be such high stakes. They don't want there to, it, it, you don't want anything that is too heavy or too dramatic, or like we said, something that you can't turn the TV off and come back to it the next day. And so usually, you know, you come to that, the all is lost moment is not, that lost <laughs> like and then the, the the twist in the third act is always going to bring you know everything's going to be resolved in some way and and the trick is to try to find an interesting way for a fresh way for it to be resolved so there like I said there's a formula there's a predictability but if you can find ways to tweak it so that oh they expect that she's going to stay and take this job in her hometown and you say oh no she's actually going to go and he's going to go with her Things like that, where if you can find a resolution that is slightly fresh and surprising, then that will set you apart. And I loved in the I loved in the cookie one. First of all, I loved how every every character had a cookie that she described them as or a dessert. So great. And um, I also loved that, you know, you're thinking this whole thing's going to be about the competition. And then halfway through, she's out and you're like, what's happened? Like it, there were really great twists that made you lean in. Um, and realized, oh no, this isn't formulaic. She's she's playing with it. She's having fun with it. So, well, I did um, want to talk about that. Yeah. The, the trick of the um of naming them after the cookies and or or describing them in regards to which dessert they would be, uh, that is something that I do in my outlines. So I usually, when I'm outlining all the characters, I pick a sort of theme and I uh, compare them to what they would be. So for that outline, and again, I, it was in my outline and they were like, we love this, can we put this into the movie? Because it was like, oh, you know, she's a sugar cookie, you know, like crumbles easily, but like sweet, or he's a jelly donut, you know, like the um, plain on the outside, the surprise on the inside sort of thing. I'll do, uh, if, if, this if this character was a tree, they'd be a willow, blows in the wind, like easy to hide behind, like, or this person would be an oak. Uh, you know, like strong, firmly rooted, things like that. So that, um, to me, helps uh, clarify who the different characters are. And so that's something that when I work with newer writers, tell them as like a, a, a sort of tool that they can use um, to help. Or if this person was a dog, you know, like what what type of dog would this person be? And it can help you sort of clarify quickly. Um, 
And that because for me, I feel like character descriptions are a place where writers, uh, it's it's wasted opportunity that a lot of writers, they, they put in like, you know, they'll put the character and they'll be like, sweet, you know, cute, funny. And I'm like, no, that's not <laughs> like, you, ha- you can like put it in like two or three sentences, something that really pops. It can make your voice pop. It can, it can show your creativity and for executives and for actors, when they read that character description, it engages them more than just that three, that typical three word, uh, three adjective description. So if you can find any way to make that um, description pop, my, like my favorite character description that I've ever written for a a pitch years ago was um, that uh, men, is it? men want to be her and women want to fuck her. And that to me was like, and it was like in my dream casting would have been Angelina Jolie, basically. Like, so like that type of character, like, so like trying to find a way that like in one or two sentences, you can really make this character pop is a way to set yourself apart from, I think the, the standard typical character description. That is awesome. That is, I love that. That's great advice. Um, Jason asked if holiday scripts are a good path for non-LA based writers. I think so. Yeah. Because um, all of these movies that I have done have been basically over Zoom. (laughs) Like they've been over Zoom. Everything can be done um, online these days. It helps to have connections. But, you know, if you've especially if you're getting started and you are not ready to move to L.A., I think these days it's you don't even have to move to L.A. I know a lot of writers that write these movies that live, you know, outside of L.A. Um, And so when people like how do you people often ask me like how do you break into this um and for me I have you know I have reps and so I never had to really deal with that but my advice would be to watch all of these holiday movies find the production companies that are listed the the producers that make these movies a lot of them make a lot of these movies and try to connect with them and reach out to them and um try to you know, like send them your log lines, ask if you can submit, um, try to get general meetings with all of these producers. Cause you're, most people are not going to go directly to the network. So you have to go through a producer. So if you can set up general meetings with producers who produce these types of movies, then give them some of your ideas, center in on an idea, then they can, with their connections, pitch to Hallmark and Lifetime and, and all the other places. And quickly, because I know we're running out of time with you, but um, in terms of those producers and pitching those log lines, is there any current cliches that people should avoid that they just don't want anymore? You mentioned it, but is there anything specific? Um, I don't. It's hard to say because every year they're always saying like, "We want this" or "We don't want this," but then they end up making movies. So it changes. Like it changes, <laughs> and yeah. it's always changing, and it depends on uh, which you know, which uh place you're pitching to because they they all have different ideas of what so lifetime definitely had they wanted to move what last year they started moving away from just the specific straight up rom-com and so the one that I did with Kelsey Grammer is not a, a romantic comedy um it's like a family it's about his relationship with his daughter and his granddaughter so it's more of a, a family movie um but then they still did a lot of you know, romantic comedies as well. So I don't so think it seems like, I think, I think it seems like for Sarah, it's like, what do you love about Christmas? Right? Like if you love it, it's going to be, even if they say, we don't want that, you love it so much, you make it 
totally something I love too, it'll work, right? Like, don't you think you have to be what you yeah. love versus intellectually trying to find the right mathematical equation? Yeah, I think it basically, it's just like, look at the formula, look at, look at the, look at what the commonality between all of these films and then find something to make it fresh. Anything that will make it a fresh twist on an old idea or a new, a new perspective um, yeah, it's great. that's what's gonna, that's, what's gonna set you apart. Uh, that's awesome. I love that advice as a way to wrap up. Um, just because you put so much of yourself into, into the movie that I watched, I'm going to go watch the other two now. Um, <laughs> so at the end of every interview, we, uh, every time we have a guest, we ask three questions. So, uh, the first one is what brings you the most joy when it comes to your writing? Uh, what brings me the most joy is, people enjoying it, honestly. Like I write because I want to emotionally connect with people. And so if people feel an emotional connection to something that I have written and they really enjoyed it, then that brings me a lot of joy. That's awesome. And what pisses you off about, about writing? God, so much. <laughs> about writing or being a writer? Um, either the, being a writer is all the bullshit around being able to get paid to write um the lack of respect for writers the fact that writers names are not even listed in half the articles about movies or the listings or the the fact that like you hand in your draft and then they could just never speak to you again and and you have no control over what happens to it um and that people don't understand the process behind it and and they'll say like oh that was a horrible script and I'm like you don't understand that writer had to make so many compromises just to get paid and it starts from the very outline concept and so I never judge a movie these days and say that's a horrible writer because you you have no idea that in order to even gotten hired to write that movie I'm sure that writer is really fucking good and that the reason they had to put in that alien hooker was because some executive <laughs> assistant's girlfriend was like wouldn't it be great if you put an alien hooker in that movie and you're like I guess I need I need to pay my rent so I will make that happen sure okay um, so, so oh that's amazing that is something that that makes me really angry about the, the actual process of writing is just uh writing <laughs> writing sucks it's, I love it but it's so hard it's just it is hard it's, so, it's hard. so hard I wish it would just come out of my brain I wish you could just download it out of my brain perfectly like, just there yeah, it is perfect. it's fantastic it is. we're done yeah. uh, Jeff <laughs> you you could ask the last question um yeah I uh that was just such a great answer Irene. I think like <laughs> it is so true that like the immediacy with which people criticize a screenplay it's like <laughs> there's a 90 that was the first 10 percent of this project and there have been so many iterations and so many departments I just I felt that was a great answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I always ask is if you could be remembered for one scene that you've written, what scene would that be and why? Oh, that I've written that's been produced or that I've ever written? Uh, either one. Actually, I would love to hear, if you have two different answers, I'd love to hear both. Okay, uh, let me think. Of the movies that have been produced, the, I mean, I, I do just, I love the stinky tofu scene in A Sugar and Spice Holiday. I, it like, because that's my mom. That's my mom. It happened basically like with, you know, someone at my house, my mom, the way that she feeds people and the way that food is so central to our life. And it's like, if you want to get into my mom's heart, like eat her food sort of thing. So like that, 
that family dynamic. Um, I love that scene. And I love that I got to, to represent that like side of, of Asian family life. Um, so that definitely would probably be one of my favorite scenes that has been produced. And then uh, my favorite scene is from, I have a, a, a script that I wrote called Time Out. And it's about um, semi-autobiographical about mom rage and the loss of identity. And um, it uh, there's a scene where she has a total and complete breakdown and uh, literally like, and this other woman is like, tells her to like, she's breaking shit. She's in a, she's in a barn full of old junk and she's got a bat and she's just like letting out all of her mom rage and admits that her deepest fear is like when she comes out, she's like, I'm a horrible mother. Like, and that is in this moment of just like absolute raw uh motherhood and that was one of my favorite scenes that I've written because that's another besides holiday movies mom issues are very central to my life and representing mothers and the experience of motherhood is another area of stories that uh is not respected and that is looked down upon and condescended and um and not represented it's either you're a perfect mom or you're like a horrible you know horrible mom and that medium zone of motherhood in its reality where you could but you know, like that balance of like trying to show the honesty and the rawness and um that and so that scene for the me, humanity the yeah, humanity of, of motherhood of motherhood and um and so I I love that scene because that's the moment where like it releases where she like she voices that fear and then by voicing it she can um sort of heal or, or begin to try to to heal from that um and so that's so hopefully someday that will be <laughs> will be a produced one so i would love for that to happen wow. we all need it thank you so much irene for coming on our show all of her movies are playing on lifetime this season or if you can sign up for the lifetime streaming club app to watch them great and thank you so much for having me on <laughs> happy holidays everyone uh if you haven't yet join our facebook group and please drop us a review on apple podcast uh, we are 50 reviews away from 700 people. Come on, help us out. And uh, you can also check out our Patreon for bonus content like additional workshops and guests and deep dives into story, which we set up um, because we, you guys asked us uh, to get in more contact and do more. So we're doing it. Come over and check it out. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.